from Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark, here again with Family Doc Zorba Pastor, talking with you about what's new in healthy living, sharing some down-to-earth advice and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for Zorba, the number to call is 1-800-462-7413. And of course, along with your calls, some topics to talk about, Zorba. Yeah, we're going to talk about women and the fact that they're diagnosed often later than men with the same disease. What is going on here? Hmm. What does it mean for our future? And low-dose aspirin. You know, we've been talking a lot about low-dose aspirin, the effects, the side effects. We're going to give you some other information that I think is very important that may help determine whether or not you should be on low-dose aspirin or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, our recipe. Oh, we've got a great recipe. It is a yummy recipe. It is a recipe that people have been clamoring for for months. I would would say for years, maybe even for decades. It's beer-battered smelts. Smelt again? Mm, Smelt again. That's right. Mom, hey, what's for dinner? Smelt. Mmm, good. Let's get to the phones. 1-800-462-7413. I can just smell the smelt. 800-462-7413. Now our first caller with us or a listener in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Hi. Hi. How can we help? Well, I have been suffering from, I think, an ear infection for months. So I finally went to the doctor and got eardrops. Uh, one of them cleared up and then another didn't. And I just went to the doctor again and got more eardrops. So I guess my question is, what the heck is going on and how can I care for my ears so this doesn't keep happening? Sure. So you've got eardrops. So what do they, they say? You had an otitis externa, which is external ear. I mean, that's usually what eardrops are for. Did they call it swimmer's ear? They didn't call it swimmer's ear. The last doctor did say that it wasn't the inner ear. It was not the so. inner Okay. So we've got an ear and we have a canal that goes into the ear. You know, you take you look at the outside of the ear and you can sort of see the outside called the pena. And then you've got this canal that goes inside. And at the other side of that canal is the eardrum. And the eardrum itself is separate. There's the middle ear, which has the three little bones that amplify the sound. But the otitis externa means it's in that canal itself. And the canal has... Uh, has skin in it, which is very soft, and once it gets inflamed, it can be really bothersome. And it's often caused by swimming because there's moisture in the ear. Was it caused by swimming in your case? No, mm-hmm. and it you know it it started in like November, so I definitely wasn't. Wasn't swimming. Yeah, well, some um, people swim in November. It all depends on what part of the country you're in. I'm not lucky and enough to be going, in Hawaii. <laughs> in Hawaii, that's right. But there are some things you actually can do if you have a recurrent otitis externa. So the yeah, problem please. is moisture. Inevitably, it's moisture. So there are a few okay. things I would recommend to keep it from recurring. One thing is go to the drugstore, the easiest first thing to do, and you get swimmer's ear prevention drops. Swimmies okay. is one of the name brands, S-W-I-M-E. And these drops have glycerin in them. Uh, they have glycerin. They uh, they also have some something a drying agent in the air. Hydrogen peroxide might be in them. But what they do is they kind of bubble. You go in the air, they bubble. They basically absorb the moisture that's in the air and they cover it with glycerin, which is sort of, if you will, kind of like Vaseline. And often okay. you just do it. You put it in your ears uh, and you just keep on doing that for a, f- a few weeks, maybe even up to a month, and your ears will stay dry. That's one of the things you do. One of the issues with getting water in the air is the fact that we often get water in the air when we're showering. And so mm-hmm. once this gets cleared up, some people will just put cotton balls in their ears while they're showering to make sure they don't get okay. water in the air. Or they put the swimmer's ear drops in their ears after they shower if it's recurrent. Now, okay. for some people, that's not enough. And what they have to actually do is use a hair dryer to dry the inside of their ears, and you do it once or twice a day. And that'll, that'll take care of it usually. That'll take care of it 95% of the time. If not, then what you need is an anti, uh, sort of an antifungal or antibiotic drop with a steroid in it, which are common drops that, that we use. But I, I would just try driving that water out of the ear. Okay. That sounds good. That's the one symptom that has lingered to this day is my ears feel wet. 
Fill wet. So, so the I paint would definitely gone. Yeah. I would do the smear drops first, and if that fails, okay. the dryer. Or you can do them both at the same time. You can do the smear drops, put them in there, and then dry it out afterwards. That'll be fine. The goal is get that moisture out of the air, drive it yeah. out, and you will feel okay. better. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. We appreciate it. At 1-800-462-7413. You know, this is much more common uh, than you would think, but a lot of people have ear problems where their ears kind of hurt, and it's from moisture. And it's because in America, we shower more than any other place kind of in the world. I Hmm. mean, the Europeans do not shower nearly as much as we do. And we shower because we like to get our skin all kind of get all the moisture or, or the oil off the skin. But as a result, sometimes we get the water in the air. So. Again, 800-462-7413, but uh, Zorba, before our next call, this is interesting. Women are diagnosed years later than men for the same disease. Yeah, and we're not exactly sure why. So if we look at the data, the data came out of Denmark, and Denmark has one insurance company. It's called Denmark. That's the name of of the insurance company. And it covers everyone. So they've got really good data. And uh, the fact is there's equal access to health care with men and women. Uh, You know, it's in Denmark, and they're used to the fact that, you know, they have socialized medicine. And it's working out well for that country, which, by the way, has about 7 million people. So it's, you know, it's a little bit bigger. It's about the size of Illinois around Chicago area Mm -hmm. when you think Mm -hmm. about it. But anyway, they looked at the data, and women on the average were diagnosed about four years later. In other words, they were older, four years older than men with the same disease. And it wasn't just one thing. It was like diabetes. It was different forms of cancer and heart disease. Uh, And women are older at the time of the diagnosis. And they don't know whether or not this is due to the fact that uh, they don't have the same symptoms. It's not an access issue. Uh, women, maybe women aren't paying attention. That's not an issue. Women are much more likely than men to actually mm. go to the doctor. Or whether or not they just get the diseases later and older than men. Uh, but Could we, it be that the doctors are ignoring the women? Could be or? doctors are ignoring the women, although in Denmark, half the doctors are women. <laughs> so, I mean, women ignoring women doesn't exactly fly in the face. Mm. And when you say doctors ignoring women, what's your image? Um, A man doctor. An old guy guy who's ignoring the symptoms of a woman. But the reality is, you know, more than half the doctors or half the doctors today in America that are graduating medical school are women. So Mm. the women may ignore them. No, I I don't think we know exactly why it's going on. But I think that it's it's really a call for action and it's a call for action for women who who may have symptoms and go, I wonder what this is about and it may then determine a discussion with their physician. It may be their symptomatology isn't the same and we're just not aware of it uh, in the medical profession. My guess is that men are more likely to be babies and de- and demand <laughs> to have this handled or, and women are kind of can tough it out better more than men. Well, that may be the case. So I, so I have to make an analogy for this. So as you know, I do a lot of work with Tibetan refugees and uh, and trying to get rid of tuberculosis mm-hmm. in the Tibetan diaspora. So we're, we've been working a lot in the Tibetan schools. We've screened 12,000 kids and we've picked up tuberculosis and we've been able to cure it. But now we're doing the monasteries and the nunneries. And we're trying to get the monks and the nuns to get treatment for something called latent tuberculosis. Latent tuberculosis is a positive skin test, but you don't have active TB. If you treat it, you reduce your risk of ever developing TB by 95%. So we have the monks and we have the nuns, and we have to convince them to take these pills for 12 weeks. It's in their best interest. Mm -hmm. Who's more stubborn at not taking the pills, the monks or the nuns? Um, nuns. That's right. The women are more stubborn (laughs) at taking the medicine and less likely than the men. So there may be a stubbornness component that you're talking about with women, too. You got it. 800-462-7413, our number. (laughs) I wonder what Penny will say about that. (laughs) 1-800-462. I know what Monica would say say about that, too. Let's just hope they don't listen to this show. (laughs) 800-462-7413. Honey, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> Let me get that number out. 1-800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, to El Paso, Texas we go. Hi. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Sure. sure. How can we um, help? Well, I'm a longtime listener, and I'm also a longtime surgical tech operating room technician, primarily um, OBGYN labor and delivery. 
there's a, I don't know, a new resurgence, I guess, of a lot of the surgical reps coming around and telling us, you know, the importance of uh, preventing smoke in the OR. This is smoke caused by electro-calderizing pencils, Bovi, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of um, new devices that are coming around. Our hospital purchased some in our expansion unit for labor and delivery, and I've been to a couple of uh, in-services and and almost promotional type events. And um, my my question basically to the doctor is, you know, is, is this surgical smoke as hazardous to us as they are saying, or, or in other words, are they kind of just blowing smoke up our water? <laughs> blowing smoke up here. So they're coming in. They're coming in and saying, "Hey, use our unit because it has less smoke. It's got." Is that what they're? When they're trying no. to do something, or, or what are they talking about? And by the way, for people who have not been in the surgical unit, which is the vast majority, it's that what happens is when tissue is burned and cauterized to get bleeding to stop or to destroy the tissue, there's smoke involved because there's tissue involved. So there's smoke, and there's a plume of smoke that goes up, and you can smell it. I mean, it's if you can smell it, it's nearby. So please go on. No, they purchased a couple of uh, new units, and part of these units have a smoke evacuator on them. So the Bovi pencil that Mm -hmm. we use typically to cauterize and cut, like you said earlier, has a little suction device hooked up to it that um, identifies the plume, and it will vacuum it out Mm -hmm. with the filter. Well, the question is, you know, how much how much of the smoke make a difference? And, you know, there is some research that shows there might be something in the smoke because there are chemicals in the smoke, although the chemicals may be minimal. It's just smoke from tissue. I think the jury is kind of out on it. But, but even though the jury is out on whether or not or how dangerous this is, I don't think the jury is out on the fact that you want to make sure that you have units that get rid of smoke because even though we don't know what a toxin does, because how could you tell, you know, it might take 20 years to know whether or not it causes pulmonary fibrosis or cancer or heart disease. I think it's important to try to keep, you know, the surgical suite just as sterile as you can, and that includes getting rid of the smoke. Now, if you're selling a unit, that becomes a different issue. You've got a parochial method. Hey, our way of getting rid of the smoke is better than that, and there are, you know, willy-nilly studies that will show, hey, this smoke could, maybe, might should, you know, cause something, and they'll use all the adjectives that are in there. But I, but I think, frankly, the jury is out on it. But, but using a good unit is important. So do you notice the – what do you notice in the process? How long have you been a, a surgical tech? About 25 years. So have you noticed a difference in how much smoke is presented in the, in the units? Yeah. Once the – we started using the smoke evacuator, I mean, it's practically none. Mm-hmm. I, I like I said I do work in um, labor and delivery, and mm-hmm. occasionally a doctor will use the same Bovi machine to eliminate. Oh gosh, I don't want to be too uh, mm-hmm. descriptive, but mm-hmm. um, Other certain tissues. warts and mm-hmm. condyloma mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. And I remember hearing at times that that smoke can be hazardous to you; can get inside your lungs, cause spores. Yeah, I, don't, I, I doubt that very much because what you're doing is you're, you're getting rid of tissues. You know, you're burning it, so you're actually burning the, the spores because that, you know, I don't know how hot the cautery is, but it's pretty hot. I mean, it's hot enough. You're actually destroying tissue. But I think, as you've seen, over years, it's become more and more smoke-free. And I think it's similar to, you know, you go somewhere and you walk down the street and somebody's smoking a cigarette and you can smell it. Or if you're in a state where you can still smoke in bars, you know, you smell it a little bit with that. So I don't think it's really anything to be concerned of if it's on an unusual, on a, you know, on an occasional basis. But I think if it's on a regular basis, it's worthwhile pursuing to keep it as smoke-free as possible. I think I'd leave it within that. If there's a risk, it's tiny. All right. Well, I'm glad I called. My second question was, do you think since I've uh, uh, been exposed to this for so many years, if I should go to my physician and, and you know see if there was some type of a test or an X-ray? I don't or think there's like really. That. I don't think there's really an X-ray or test, you know, to show it. We don't have an X-ray or test to pick up lung cancer. Well, we do. We have CT scans now for people who are heavy smokers that, in some cases, do pick it up. But I don't think there's any particular test that would do it. I think you would know because you might have you might have lung symptoms that would be associated with it. But let's compare that to smoking a cigarette. You know, you smoke a cigarette, 
let's say you're a pack a day smoker, pick you know typical twenty cigarettes a day. Cigarette will say last five minutes, so it's five times twenty. It's a hundred minutes at which you're pulling a huge plume of smoke into your lungs, and you have to compare that to the occasional plume of smoke in the operating room. And then you realize you're probably dealing with one one-thousandth, somewhere in that range, or maybe one ten-thousandth of the amount of smoke in your lungs that could actually cause the problem. So I think if the risk is there, it's minimal. The other issue is because we've been cauterizing for so many years in a surgical suite, if there were risks involved, I would have expected this to come out. And it would be, you know, surgical techs tend to get this disease. You know, and uh, doctors who work in surgery would tend to get this disease. So I think by that time, we actually would, would have seen something because this is not a new thing. This is actually an old thing. And so because nothing has really come up as a risk factor for working in the OR, I think the risk, if it's there, is minuscule. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I hope that helps. We appreciate the call. Thank you so much. 800-462-7413. And before the break now, Zorba, let's hear from your favorite nitpickers, the Grammar Police. On a previous show, we heard from a listener who fiercely defended your on-air denigration of smelt. (laughs) And it hasn't stopped there. In fact, it has spawned a larger conversation. And now we've received a handwritten letter from another defender of these little silver (laughs) pan-fried fingerlings. So, we are now assuming there's such a thing as... The smelt police. (laughs) This letter came to us from Marianne in Superior, Wisconsin, on a small small three-by-five-inch index card. She wrote, Dear Dr. Zorba and Tom, here's an article to touch your funny bones. Smelting is an art form in our area. And she sent along a news article from her local paper about, get this, Duluth, Minnesota's annual smelt parade. (laughs) Well, I've got the article. And the article shows, which is really, it's the Magic Smelt Puppet Troupe, which includes a homage to the well-dressed smelt royalty Stilt walkers and silver hues. The parades keepers have been hosting smelt decorating workshops for weeks leading up to the parade. It's wonderful. You know, it really goes to show you the people who have smelt in their heart just want to express it and and share it with others. And we are going to share our recipe with them. We have the beer battered smelt recipe, which, of course, everyone is going to run out to the store if they can and actually purchase smelt. Although in some places of the country, it's kind of hard to get. In other places, it's like right in your face. <laughs> Well, does uh, does your heart melt when you think of smelt? Yes, it does. Do you perhaps loosen your belt before eating smelt? Or maybe you felt that Zorba dealt this often battered fish a figurative welt, and he should have instead knelt at the feet of smelt. Post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. And remember, don't send smelt through the mail. It's not legal. <laughs> Our tasty beer-battered smelt recipe is coming up. Mm, Along with more of your calls, of course, right here on Zorba Pastor and Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Our number is 800 462 7413. But before our next call, guess what our recipe is? Uh, 
I can do more than guess because I know the recipe. Mmm, smelt. <laughs> smelt for dinner, Dad. Smelt for dinner, Mom. Okay. Right. <clears throat> smelt today, smelt tomorrow. But a little bit about smelt. I mean, mm-hmm. it's important for all of our listeners to know the history of smelt because smelt <laughs> are important. Now, my dad would catch smelt. When the smelt are running, they're all over the Great Lakes, and they, they run in the springtime, but they are not native. They're native to the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, and they accidentally got introduced into the Great Lakes in 1912 mm-hmm. when the king of smelts introduced smelt. There really wasn't a king of smelts, but anyway, they escaped from an inland lake in Michigan where they had been stocked as forage fish. In other words, whatever forage fish are. And they escaped into it, and that was it. They spread throughout the Great Lakes, and they were just all over the place, and that's where they are. And they're eaten whole, including the skin, the head, the tail. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They are, quote, delicate, mild-tasting, and a bit oily. Doesn't that sound delicious to you? I I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. But as a bonus, wait a minute, wait a minute. High in omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah. Come on, Tom. I mean, really. What am I supposed to be uh, uh, induced? You're by? supposed to be induced. That's I, exactly I knew it. this was coming. I smelt it. <laughs> you, oh, you smelt it. Exactly. Well, um, you know, you can get smelt in your local grocery store. Frozen. If you look in the frozen food case of your local grocery store, they come in big bags and they're labeled smelt. So if you want to get smelt, you can do it. Are you waiting for the rest? I bet you're waiting. You're waiting with bated breath for our smelt recipe, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Mmm, smelt. Start out with one and a half cups of flour. Cup and a half flour. Okay, one and a half teaspoons of seasoned salt. This particular recipe calls for Lowry's seasoned salt, but you could use any seasoned salt you have in the house. One and a half little tea, seasoned salt. We're going to be seasoning the smelt quite a bit. That's what I want to let you know. Uh, A pinch of cayenne pepper. Pinch cayenne pepper. If you like my wife, Penny, you'll actually put in four or five pinches of cayenne mm-hmm. pepper to make it hot. A teaspoon of Old Bay seasoning, except no substitute. Old Bay is Old Bay is Old Bay. A little tea, Old Bay seasoning. Quarter teaspoon of garlic salt. Quarter little tea garlic Big salt. Big dash of oregano. A dash of oregano. Okay, now you need uh, 24 ounces of beer. 24 ounces of beer. That's right. 12 ounces of beer you're going to use in the recipe and 12 ounces of beer you're going to consume while you're actually making and eating the smelt. I understand. (laughs) Got it. A pound of smelt. That's about 32 smelt. (laughs) They must be cleaned. If they're not cleaned, they aren't going to smelt good to you when you make them. (laughs) A pound of cleaned smelt. That's right. You're going to use some other flour. Lemon wedges and tartar sauce if you want to have it. Lemon wedges. Lots of them. (laughs) Lots of them. Tartar sauce. That's right. Lots of tartar sauce. Yeah, maybe you could forego the smelt and just eat the lemon (laughs) wedges. wedges. Just just dip the lemon wedges in the tartar sauce and you'll be with. Okay, so you're going to mix a cup and a half of flour with the Lowry salt, cayenne pepper, garlic salt, oregano, Old Bay until it's all combinable because that's what you're going to use as your Mm -hmm. batter. Slowly whisk in the beer, okay? Whisk it thoroughly to avoid clumps. Set it in the fridge to chill a bit for like a half an hour. Then take the smelt, lightly dust them with a half cup of flour, shake them off, shake them off so there's not an excess. Then heat a large cast iron or other cooking cooking skillet. I love cast iron, so I have it nice and hot until it's smoking. It takes about five minutes, three to five minutes to get 350 degrees. Once the fish have been dusted, submerge them one by one in the beer batter, right? They got the flour, and then you're putting them in the beer batter. Lay down some paper towels or have that batter close to you so you can avoid a mess. Carefully place the battered smelt into the fryer in small batches. Let it cook for about four to five minutes, turning it till it's a delicious golden brown. And place the fish on paper toweling to get the rest of the oil off. Season with a little salt. Serving with lemon wedges and tartar sauce. And Run and welcome all your friends who are going to be running into the house because they're going to go, mmm, smelt, because yeah. they just know it's coming. They can smelt it. I was just wondering if people would uh, like smelt better if it were named something else. Oh, you mean instead of smelt? Yeah. Smelt maybe is, something. Yeah. Smelt is sort of a 
terrible name. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we should have a contest. Maybe people <laughs> can send in some suggestions to Zorba at WPR.org. That's Zorba at WPR.org, which, by the way, is where you get this delicious smelt recipe. And please send in your suggestions on how we can rename smelt <laughs> so we can make the smell better. Yuck. 800 <laughs> Let's get back to the phones now. You know, we got to have a prize for the contest. If if we get the best name, maybe we should send them some smelt or send them on a smelt vacation, <laughs> something like that. Okay. Uh, instead, let's welcome now a listener in Chicago, Illinois. Hi. Hello. How are you? Fine. How can we help? Well, um, I was hoping that you can help me with a situation I have. About a year ago, I noticed that the small, almost invisible hairs on the perimeter of my face, like the hairline, forehead, temples area, were feeling a little strange. And then following that, my entire body developed kind of a sticky film. Hmm. It doesn't wash off with soap and water. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to dermatologists, rheumatologists, endocrinologists. The only thing that seems to keep it in check and keep me from sticking to everything, including clothing, you know, my socks, is salicylic acid shampoo mm-hmm. um, and exfoliating gloves. Wow. But that's, that, that's, that's pretty rough. Right. So I was hoping so that wait, you... So wait, this oil uh, is all over, where is it, all over your body? or? Yes, and it's not consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even my lips. If I would purse my lips, they would kind of stick together. So palms of my hand, uh, my face of my, you know, the bottom of my feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everywhere. Huh. Anything that brought this on? Any disease or other thing that you had, medical problem that seemed to start with this? Um, no, nothing at, nothing at the same time. I, I am postmenopausal, and I know that kind of throws the body into some pretty weird um, uh-huh. Situation. Yeah. What do you shower um, with? What I sort do. of what sort of soap do you shower with? Um, something like a, a Dove, just mm-hmm. a regular beauty bar. Mm-hmm. Have you gone to a deodorant soap like Life Boy or Irish Spring? Because they dry you out. They take the oil off the skin more. I mean, that's a problem um, with people who have dry skin. But in your case, you have right. the opposite problem. It is the opposite. Right. And I, I tried Irish Spring and then stopped. It mm-hmm. didn't seem to do anything. Mm-hmm. And it, sometimes it is worse, and and sometimes I don't stick to anything, which is great. Uh-huh. What's the biggest problem? What's the biggest? Is it your hands that are the biggest issue, or so? Really, the problem is around my face, my mm-hmm. forehead. Um, you can actually see a little bit of a shine uh-huh. on the forehead, and mm-hmm. it's not oily. It's caused by whatever this film is. Sure, sure. So, so it's so really the it, face is the biggest issue. Right. Okay. I would. What I would do is I would look into uh, uh, two things. First thing I would try is something over the counter. Second thing is I would talk to your doctor. So I would try Bravoxyl, or uh, you know, which is a benzoyl peroxide, uh, which is what we use for acne. Uh, it's an anti. It's, it's, it tends to dry out the skin. So we're using it really for the side effects. I'd probably start with the five percent and then go up to the ten percent. And uh, it's used for acne. What it does is it actually decreases the bacteria in the skin, which may be the issue. And that might solve it. There, it comes in zero, mm. uh, two point five percent, five percent, and ten percent. Try that first. That might do it. If that fails, I would try Retin A. Or I would try over-the-counter Differin, D-I-F-F-E-R-I-N, the lowest one possible. I don't think it's 0.1%. I think it comes in a lower dose. Once again, we use it for acne, and it changes mm-hmm. uh, it changes what's going on with the oil in your skin, and that's basically what we want to do. You don't have acne, but that's it. If that fails, I would try a Metrogel, which is a prescription drug, and it's an antibiotic gel that we once again use for acne rosacea. Rosacea is sort of an acne issue that is common. In, uh, in adults uh, over a certain age, and that may be actually what's going on in your face, and that will work well with that. So these are three different things that you can do to keep it under control, but I would try the over-the-counter stuff first because it's cheaper and you don't you don't need to see a doctor for it. But this may take care of it. What we have to do is get rid of the oil in the skin and the sal acid isn't working. You need something stronger. All right. Thank you so much for your advice. I very much appreciate it. You're welcome. Let us us know what goes on. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the call at 800 
462-7413. Now, Zorba, a listener with us in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Fine. How can we help? Well, uh, first of all, I'd love to so listen every weekend. And, and Tom, I feel like I, I make a connection with you. Uh, uh, I definitely share your, your diet preferences. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> How can we help? So a couple of months ago, I went into anaphylactic shock from a wasp sting without wow. knowing that I was going into anaphylactic shock. And so what happened, and I, I, I lost consciousness multiple times. The last time while dialing 911, uh, and each time I lost consciousness, I was standing up and I collapsed to the floor, causing great damage to furniture and stairs and everything else in the house. And each time I collapsed, I collapsed forward with my knees striking the floor first. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not a light guy, so I obviously struck the floor with quite a lot of uh, force. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of blood, a lot of a lot of bruising. I solved the anaphylactic problem by I have guns everywhere now. Uh, next day, saw my primary care provider, got the got the EpiPen prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was really there for was the damage that I did to my knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like they were broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-ray showed nothing. She prescribed a painkiller, which I really didn't need. Um, now, a couple months later, every time I bang my knees against something or, or I'm kneeling mm-hmm. on the floor or working on something, it's a very sharp pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've multiple visits to my PC. And she says, you know, physical therapy will solve this, uh, which I'm not convinced uh, this is a physical therapy issue. And I'm just wondering, how have I caused permanent damage somehow to my kneecaps? Well, first of all, there's no broken bone. We know that. Now, if we did an MRI scan, we might look and actually find bone bruises. You might see some microfractures in the bone too. But there are bursa in the knees. The bursa are fat pads and they basically cushion the knee. They cushion the patella, which is a floating bone, which you undoubtedly banged when you, when you hit the ground. Uh, and you may not have a lot of external swelling, but you can still have swelling within the knee, the ligaments, uh, the tendons, the bone itself, and the bursa. If you hit the ground, and as you say, you're a big guy, you hit the ground, x-ray doesn't show everything. It only shows some things. So the real issue is, okay, you've got it. Is there permanent damage? Probably not, but sometimes there is permanent damage. But the real issue is, how do I reach my best plateau? And I want to talk about a very important study because I think it really affects you. A very simple study, finally done a couple of years ago, looked at people who had meniscus injuries because you could have a meniscus injury, but it doesn't sound like that. Half the people got arthroscopy and got the meniscus, you know, sort of trimmed up. The other half went to physical therapy. At the end of uh, six months, nine months, one year, and two years, 80% of the people who just did physical therapy were just as good as the people who had surgical arthroscopy. Now, the take-home message was that regular exercise by a physical therapist, in other words, it's learning how to do it the right way, over a 12-week period can decrease pain in the knees, period. And it works 80% of the time. And uh, I now, since that study, about, uh, take more and more people and send them to PT to learn what to do and what not to do for exercise. And in my experience, about 80% of the time, they don't need any surgical intervention. I don't think you need any surgical intervention, but you need exercise. You need to know the right stuff to do. And you've got to, and you've got to commit yourself to 5 to 10 minutes in the morning five to 10 minutes in the evening. And you got to do it for 12 weeks. You won't see a result in a week. You won't see it in two weeks. It'll take eight to 12 weeks before you see results. That's what I think is going on. And I don't think it's permanent damage, but if you don't treat it, it could become permanent pain. Okay. I just have a hard time envisioning what PT on a kneecap entails. Well, what they actually do is they do quad sets, they do leg raises. It's not that there's actually something going on with the kneecap itself, but it's the ligaments and tendons that are holding that kneecap up. And frankly, we don't know why it works. It may be that we change the nutrition within the joint. In other words, I have no idea why regular exercise actually improves it. Why would stretching and moving and mm-hmm. pulling the ligaments actually make them better? But the body is always trying to heal itself. And it may be that when you actually do the exercise the right way, white cells and red cells go in there and say, hey, there's some inflammation going on and we've got to cure and get rid of it. I don't know. I don't think anyone really has the answer. So although you can't visualize what it's actually doing, neither can I. 
Okay. Well, I will, I will revisit that. I would definitely, definitely do it. And once again, it's not that the physical therapist is actually doing the exercise for you. Mm-hmm. It's that you want to have one visit with somebody who knows what they're doing to show you what exercise to do and what exercises not to do. And I think it's both those sides that have your best chance of, of reaching success. So. Thanks so much for that call at 800-462-7413. Now before the break, Zorba, it's time to fire up the segment we call Facebook Feedback. Facebook Feedback. Okay, Zorba, this message comes from Deborah, and I want you to guess what state she lives in. And here's a clue. It's referred to as the Beaver State. Uh, Oregon? Oh, way to go. Way to go, Zorba. Wait a second. Two of my kids went to the University of Oregon. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That was that was very simple. You liked it. You liked the fact that I got it. Oh, right yeah. Away. I think hey, that's really hey, man, great. I am, I am so smart. I know, I am I so know smart. you know all What's the capital? Do you know the capital of Oregon? Come on. Salem. Oh, really? Salem. Never, never would have guessed. Anyway, Deborah from Oregon <laughs> writes. Oregon. That's what I said, Oregon. Oh, good. Okay. Deborah, you know, Deborah we, I live Oregon. in Oregon, Wisconsin. It's not. Yeah, it's not Oregon. Yeah, right, uh, right. right. Anyway, Deborah writes, after hearing Tom's <laughs> food choices on today's show, I must say I'm really worried about him. Dare <laughs> I say appalled? <laughs> Too much sugar for sure. <laughs> Crappy store prepared spicy chicken. <laughs> Have you heard of organic chicken? The only thing of value seems to be the spices, but even they can be filled with insect parts, if not organic. And if you must have a chocolate bar, and I must have several squares every day, please choose dark chocolate, which is delicious and heart-healthy. Love you too much to stay silent, Tom. Stay silent. I love it. I love it. I love it. Have a healthy living question for the good doc, or maybe you just want to critique my diet. Just post on our Facebook page, or you can always send us an email. Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up. Another interesting topic to talk about all right here on Zorba Pastor and Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Our number is 800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, low-dose aspirin linked to bleeding in the skull? Yeah, well, we have to look at aspirin and the side effects of aspirin. Um, And I think it's really important. So first of all, let's review aspirin and why we take it. We don't take it for headaches anymore. We don't take it for arthritis anymore. We do know that people who have had a heart attack, taking an aspirin reduces their chances of having a second heart attack. So we give it to people who have had a heart attack. We know that. But for many, many years, we thought it was useful for something called primary prevention. Okay, you're an older adult. Uh, Maybe your cholesterol is elevated, but no known heart disease at all. Take an aspirin every day. It's good for you. It'll prevent a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And recently, long-term studies have now disproven that and shown that taking aspirin for primary prevention and prevent a heart attack is not the case. Mm -hmm. And basically, I had lots of patients in my practice, so I put an aspirin, and I'm I'm taking them off. Uh, The question is, for some of them, if they have diabetes, should they be on it or not? Well, that turns out to be an individual question. But this study shows one of the side effects of aspirin is a brain bleed. Now, Mm. 
We've known that for years. We know aspirin causes ulcers, can cause an ulcer in the stomach. But now they look specifically in whether or not it actually caused brain bleeds. And lo and behold, people who, they were looking at placebo studies, people who took aspirin basically had a very small risk, 0.46. So it's a small risk of having a head bleed during the period of time that they were measuring it. So it's about a half of 1%. But a half of 1% is still if you put a lot of people on it, a mm-hmm. huge number of people. People from Asian backgrounds are more likely to have it. And those who had a body mass index under 25, in other words, people who actually were thin, were more likely to have the brain bleed. So here's one so example. that'd be me. I'm, I'm, I'm right, skinny. exactly, yeah. exactly. More likely to have the brain bleed. So the primary, once again, I think this is important to say, if you're taking aspirin, this means you want to sit down and have a discussion with your doctor. Why are you on it? If it's only for primary prevention, stop taking it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't show it's any good, and it actually shows it has side effects. If you have a heart attack, you should continue to take it. What about that in-between where you have a number of risk factors for heart disease, such as diabetes and other things that have happened? Well, that's really where an individual kind of an individual decision has to be made. And I think this study shows the importance of that. Hmm. So how many of us are on aspirin? These well, days? there are lots of people on aspirin. And in fact, you looked at, you know, if you look at the advertisements for aspirin over the years, it's really shown that lots of people have been taking it. And I think that's why this is an important study to look at. So aspirin has a place. We thought of it as a wonder drug for everybody, but it's not. And clearly, a side effect of a brain bleed is present if you're on aspirin. So if you're on it, talk about it with your doctor. Now, Zorba, let's get back to the phones, see if we can help a listener in Sandpoint, Idaho. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. How can we help? Well, my question is about whether um, using what's called a counterforce or offloading brace is effective in relieving or preventing medial epicondylitis, mm-hmm. I guess, which is called golfer's elbow. Uh-huh. I have flare-ups in my right elbow occasionally, and just wondering if these braces work as far as you know so do you play golf i do not play golf no shouldn't be Um, called golfer's elbow should it because most of the people with golfer's elbow do not actually play golf it just was common in golfers have you gotten one tell me about the device well this is um like a band uh Mm -hmm. it's about an inch or so wide and in the middle of it it has like a gel pad Mm -hmm. i guess the idea is you put this brace Mm on just below the elbow yeah, and it spreads like a stress or yeah, something. That's that's exactly what it is. And they're common. They're commonly used. You can buy them over the counter. You know, you can buy them in stores. We use them in the office. Have you tried it on your elbow? I have not tried it yet. So I, I just wanted to make sure that there's some maybe studies or well, there is there is some evidence. The, the physical therapists swear by it. We use it all the time. I give it out in my office all the time, and recommend it. But but the other aspect of golfer's elbow that's really important is what sort of exercises should you do? There are exercises that you can do that actually begin to redistribute it. I mean, the little golfer's elbow brace is very good for immediate pain, but you want to make sure you find out what's bringing it on. How do I develop a system of exercises to actually make it better. So um, have you looked online, talked to your doctor about golfer's elbow? I, I was, you know, uh, just doing the Google search, I was interested yeah. uh, at first in just these the, these braces, uh-huh. if they would work. Sure. But, but yeah, Okay, so yeah. let me give you the uh, let me give you the Google answer because I think you can do it without seeing your doctor. First thing I would do is take I like anti-inflammatories for two to four weeks, so I would take two leave over the counter leave twice daily for two weeks, two to four weeks automatically, whether you think you need it or not, to get rid of the inflammation. That is, by the way, twice the recommended dose on the bottle. So two in the morning, two in the evening, as long as you can tolerate it, I think it's great. Get rid of some of the pain and get rid of the inflammation. Next, wear the splint that you can get, and you've got to position it properly so it helps get rid of the pain. So it takes a little bit of figuring out exactly where to put the splint. Go to YouTube then and look up golfer's elbow exercises. And the best way I do when I'm evaluating exercises is I go to a physical therapist. So I would put in golfer's elbow exercises PT. And then you will undoubtedly get a physical therapist who's recommending the exercises. And 95% of the time they're good. 
if it's from a physical therapist. There may be others that are also good, but there are a lot of physical therapists that have lots of YouTube exercises. You don't need to go to a doctor for that. And then you do that five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, twice a day for about a month, and there's a very good chance you actually will get rid of this thing. Great. You'll get rid of it without a copay. Mm-hmm. So that's a excellent benefit. And then you can take that copay and then give it to your local public radio station. <laughs> Sam support public radio. <laughs> Okay, great idea. <laughs> anyway, good luck. That's what I would recommend. Thanks for your call. We really appreciate it at 800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, let's do that fun segment where you get yelled at for something you said on the show. Fun for you, not fun for me. Here's another edition of Disagreeing with the Doc. following email came to us from a listener named Norma. Dear Zorba, stop implicitly endorsing vaping. Nicotine addicts <laughs> simply will get addicted to this equally antisocial habit and their breath would knock a buzzard off a garbage truck. <laughs> knock a buzzard off a garbage truck. Take now, it, that is an image. Take it from a wife. <laughs> that is an image. Well, I am not implicitly. I do not mean by any means, let me clarify, to implicitly endorse vaping. Not at all. And I've been against vaping from the very beginning. But if you are a smoker, let's assume you're a 20 cigarette, a pack a day smoker, and you go to vaping instead of smoking, is that healthier? The jury is out on that, but for the most part, over the period of the last five years, studies have shown that is more likely to be less hazardous to your health. Notice all those words I'm Mm -hmm. using to describe Mm -hmm. it than tobacco. But I do not endorse vaping. And when it comes to cigarettes, I endorse stop it. Don't put anything into your lungs. It's all fresh air. As for whether or not it actually, what is it, a buzzard from a garbage truck? (laughs) Knock a buzzard off a garbage truck. truck. We have garbage trucks picking up garbage in our neighborhood, and I have to tell you, I have never seen a buzzard, buzzard, on that garbage truck. But they're big birds, and I bet they really stink. <laughs> Do you think Zorba's blowing smoke? Let us Ooh. know by posting on our Facebook page or by sending us an email at Zorba at wpr.org. Back to the phones now, Zorba. Listen with us in Malone, Wisconsin. Hi. Well, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. And we've been listening to Dr. Zorba for a long time and enjoy you both. Thank you. Um, my question is this. I have had a, a tingling, itching tickle all over my skin for several months. have tried a few different things, starting off with a CeraVe cream. Then I was put on a different cream. I'll spell it because I can't pronounce it. T-R-I-A-M. C-I-N-O-L-O-N-E. Triamcinolone. There you go. And uh, <laughs> I tried doxepin. Uh-huh, doxepin. Okay. This and is for the, itching? That's what this is for? Yeah, like a tingling itch, yes, mm-hmm. all over. But it was not doing much. Mm-hmm. It's so an antidepressant I, that sometimes helps with itching and pain. So recently I've gone back and they put me on gabapentin. Uh-huh, okay. 100 milligrams. Uh-huh. And that, that, since I made my first call to you, that does seem to be helping somewhat. Good, good. Now, how many, tell me about the gabapentin. How often are you taking it? I just started, mm-hmm. I was one capsule by mouth three times a day, uh-huh. and then I was for 14 days, mm-hmm. and then it's one capsule by mouth twice a day and three at bedtime. Yeah, so uh, so let me explain a little bit about that. Gabapentin is an anti-seizure drug we give for chronic pain. We give it also for people who have unusual sensations, such as itching sensations. You can go up to actually 2,400 milligrams a day, which is a really high dose. Some people have to be on a high dose for that. Uh, They have to be be weaned up and weaned down if they're on a high enough dose. But a common dose is between two and 300 milligrams three times a day, and that often works with chronic itching and chronic pain. And often people just get on it for a month or two, and then for some odd reason the pain goes away and you can taper down. So So it sounds like you may be on it, and the real issue is you want to push it up to the highest dose that will, well, the lowest of the higher dose that will work for you without side effects. 
And light therapy. Uh, light therapy may work. It works for some people. Uh, it's done by a dermatologist, and you're put into a light box that we use for psoriasis, and for some people that works. But frankly, if the gabapentin seems to have an effect, I think I'd stick with that first see what happens. Because itching sometimes is very difficult to get rid of and if we can just get the body to settle down often, it stops remembering itching and then all of a sudden the pain, the itching is less. So I, I think I think you're on the right road. I think you're doing the right thing and it. Uh, I'm sure you've had it for how long have you had it for? Months. Months, that's right. What kind of soap do you use? Very little of a, a like an ivory. Uh-huh. You should go to Dove soap instead of ivory. How often do you shower? You should shower as little as possible. How often do you shower or bathe? She's got me showering in the evening, uh-huh. in a cool shower every evening, and then putting this uh, ointment on. I, if, uh, my recommendation is shower less. I'd go to every other day or every third day or, you know, twice a week, once or twice a week. Because when you shower, you get oil off of your skin. So you want to shower less. You don't want to shower more. You can put the ointment or the triamcinolone cream on your skin, but do not shower. Every other day or every third day. When you shower, people who shower, you want to use Dove soap, if you're going to use any soap, and you want to, sh- basically, you want to shower less. That would be my other recommendation. Well, thank you very much for your help. Yep, you're welcome. Thank you. We appreciate the call. Now, before we head out today, Zorba, isn't it nice when someone tells us we're doing a good job? Yes. The following email came to us from a listener named Tom. He writes... Tom, what a, what an unusual name. Tom, did you, did there, you write... There are a gazillion write, of us around. Did you write the email, Tom? Not, did you, not me. This did somebody pen it in your name? Or Are you sure this is from another person? Yeah, right, the please. good Tom yes, the good writes... Tom. I want to share that you were able to procure a new fan my nine-month-old daughter. I'm sure you've been told you have an infectious laugh. My daughter began to laugh with you during today's show. You were tickled by the... (laughs) That's funny. You were tickled by the foreskin on salmon comment. You laughed so much that eventually my daughter began to laugh with you. I believe you and your laugh have officially joined the ranks of the local weatherman. The banana boat song and the Jeopardy theme song as showstoppers in my daughter's world. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the great advice, recipes, yada, yada, yada. That's very very nice. That's very nice. Thank you so much. Anything to make a child laugh has got to be a good thing. Has Dr. Zorba helped you? Share your story with us. Just send us an email at zorba at wpr.org. See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. Don't forget you can call us anytime at 800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sidron. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark, asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's healthy living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.